Hello and welcome to the DMA Politics Podcast. My name is Michael Sturrock and I am the Public Affairs Manager at the DMA. And today I'm very excited to be sitting in central London with a particularly special guest who I think is one of the best political journalists, commentators, general kind of political overseers that there is on Twitter and the general political sphere. Um, and that is Laura Hutchinson, who is the principal Brexit consultant with Dodds. Hello, Laura. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, now, tell me a little bit about what you do. And um, as I say, you're the principal Brexit um, consultant. Mm-hmm. And does that mean you are just Brexit, Brexit, Brexit? Or what else do you do as part of your, your role? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, thank you for the intro. Not very, at all. very generous. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm the principal political consultant for Dodds, uh, which is sort of a, a parliamentary and uh, data sort of intelligence uh, analysis group. So, what do I do? So, yeah, principally focused on Brexit. So, I'm not. I also have international development in my brief oh, cool. as well, and some foreign affairs. But because of so just little little things, just tiny tiny yeah. areas. Um, because of just where we've been over the last couple of years, totally. It, probably, I would say around seventy percent of my job is primarily focused on Brexit and what on earth is happening um, and what does it mean for business uh, is sort of my my focus. Um, so at the moment, obviously, it's going to be going to sh- shift gear slightly. Mm-hmm. We're not lurching from crisis to crisis every week. Sure. Um, and it will be more focused on sort of what's going on in the transition period uh, and, you know, how are the trade deals going, uh, you know, what, what's, what are the current areas, what are the concessions... Um, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So what, 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 did you kind of fall into the Brexit role or was it something that you were quite keen to do? Well, I worked, so before I came to Dodds, I worked in Parliament for four years. Mm-hmm. So I, I started there before the referendum, mm-hmm. um, if you can imagine such a time. <laughs> like, I don't even know what we were talking about. No, what the exactly. Big I didn't, did we even have politics back then? I don't I'm not think even sure. so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like coalition, right? Oh um, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Um, Collaborative so, politics, what a thing. <laughs> And then the referendum happened, mm. and then obviously that just... Uh, I work for an Inner London MP as well. Okay. So, uh, obviously, like, it's a very big focus, uh, specifically around, like, you know, the financial sector and stuff like that. So okay. it did become quite a lot uh, heavy in my day-to-day research, that sure. sort of thing. So, so you've been invested in it this whole time? I've been here since day mm. day one. Wow. Yeah. And what, what have been the kind of outstanding memories for you over the past couple of years? Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, it's hard to pick mm. pick a few. I think it's it's very weird to think of just how much has happened. Mm. Like this time last year, Theresa May had just uh, suffered the biggest parliamentary defeat of any sitting prime minister. Oh my gosh, is that a year ago? A year ago, yeah. isn't yeah. that mad? God, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then when you look at what's just happened, I mean, we've had three prime ministers, mm-hmm. two general elections, four exit dates. Um, you know, it, it really is quite um, quite extraordinary. I mean, there's a number of sort of very weird moments throughout. I mean, like, think back on the referendum campaign, like the the flotilla thing. Do you remember that? Oh, that was yeah, probably one of the gosh. weirdest moments, I think. Yeah, it, it's, um, um, it is really bizarre, actually, because there, there was a point at which, for the DMA, I did uh, a live Brexit feed at which kind of, at any moment, sort of something happened. Um, did you have I to pull of, that quite quickly? Yes, I did. So it, but I did it for about six weeks or something, and then I kind of came into work and realised this was the only thing I did anymore. So <laughs> it had to be sort of um, pulled. Um, and, but but I, I kind of have glanced back over it over time and realised that 
Uh, so much stuff happened, literally in days. I, yeah. I had, at points, to the minute updates on hugely significant things that would happen that if they happened at any other point in the kind of general political it would dominate. You know, timeline. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. Absolutely crazy. I mean, the term unprecedented obviously became uh, the buzzword, mm. um, but it really did go for, um, apply to quite a lot of things. Like, you ended up, I never thought, to be completely honest, that so much of my career would be focused around understanding, like, the const, like, sort of, like, you know, uh, parliamentary constitution and things like that, mm. and laws that date back to, like, the 1600s, which apparently are now relevant, like, relevant now and yeah. setting a precedence, that type of thing. And do um, you find that interesting? It's so interesting. Mm. Yeah, it is really interesting. So, in a sense, I did, as, as chaotic as the last year in particular has been, um, and obviously, like, sort of, you know, it, the paralysis has meant different things for different people, but... Um, the drama of it, the high drama, was uh, was quite exciting. If you're a bit of a political nerd, but also just uh, you know learning about these things that have well, or sort of testing them a lot of the time as well. These things have never um, needed to be done. Like, yeah. uh, so a, a lot more. Speaker Burko did um, stuff like that. You know, what effect is that going to have on, mm. on Parliament moving forward? Mm, absolutely. Um, um, so. I'm going to give a quick uh, rundown because, as I was saying, um, uh, as I was saying to you before we just started recording, I haven't actually done one of these podcasts since before the election, which is hugely negligent of me. And, of course, I apologise humbly to my listeners for um, for this um, gross um, yeah, negligence um, <laughs> of my time on the microphone. So, um, if you remember, I think it was probably about halfway through the election campaign or towards the end, if you have been alive for the past uh, couple of weeks, you will be well aware that Boris Johnson is still the Prime Minister and uh, that he has a fairly stonking majority in the House of the Commons. And that has meant he has been able to pass, finally, the withdrawal agreement that Theresa May struggled so hard to get passed over the, uh, the years before. So, uh, ultimately, this means that we are, what is it, 30, I don't know, 30 hours, 36 hours less than away from leaving yeah. the EU, yeah. which is crazy. Did you ever think we'd get here? Um... There was a moment, there was a few moments where it looked like the uh, the second referendum thing was almost inevitable in mm. order to break the deadlock. Um, so things like the Carl Wilson Amendment stuff around like confirmatory yeah. referendum. Mm -hmm. I definitely thought there was a chance that that could happen. But as soon as Labour decided to back um, Johnson's call for an early general election... Yeah. You know, I, and it's also worth remembering they didn't need to do that. <laughs> like <laughs> Boris Johnson was a was a severely minority government at the time. He, mm. he couldn't have got his bill through without it being heavily amended, probably yeah. with a confirmation yeah. referendum. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, right. Which is why he pulled it. Mm. Um, if they didn't back that call for a general election, um, things could be very, very different now, and we might not be leaving. Yeah. Uh, I doubt very, actually, I, I doubt we would we would be leaving tomorrow really? if we hadn't gone yeah. into that general election, just because the parliamentary arithmetic would have remained exactly the same. Do you think that's Labour's biggest mistake? Um, yeah, it's up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hindsight's a, a, a good thing, yeah. but, you know, the, it was quite obvious what was going to happen as well, like, the polls were, were pretty spot on, mm. like, they, they had a massive lead over, over Labour, the Conservative Party did, um, for, for a very long time, um, and that, that sort of rocketed when Johnson, um, took over, so I'm not entirely sure where they thought this was going to Go, mm. but you know we are where we, we are. We are where we are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, never has such a phrase 
seems to carry <laughs> so much weight to it. Um, so yes, we, we are we're leaving tomorrow, um, and you know, many, Brexit means Brexit was a phrase that well, not Brexit means Brexit. Let's get Brexit done was mm. kind of the watchword or the watchwords of the of, of the Tory party in the in the general election campaign. Tomorrow we're leaving. Does that mean on Saturday morning we are out the EU, no EU rules and regulations left at all? Yeah, so Johnson's get Brexit done uh, sort of mantra. And he has, like you said, he's repeated it quite a lot, that we are leaving Mm. the EU tomorrow and that Brexit will be done tomorrow. Mm. Uh, That's quite misleading. Mm. And why Um, is that? What's going to happen as of the 1st of February is that we'll enter into a transition period. so the government like to call it the implementation period because right. it makes them think that they're implementing yeah. something. They're, they're not. Um, it's a transition phase, um, which is uh, sort of the, the, the importance of it is that it's the time when the EU and the UK are going to try and negotiate uh, this sort of dynamic free trade agreement, mm. uh, and they've got to obviously get an agreement on things like uh, security, fisheries, you know, agriculture, um, that type of thing, mm. immigration. Yeah. Um, these is these very very big uh, sort of areas, uh, they've, and they've got uh, because of what Boris Johnson has done, uh, they've got eleven months in which to do that. Um, so, and during, do think- so, so during so during the transition period, um, back to earlier question, mm. nothing really will change. Like mm. your day to day, you won't notice anything different. It's not like you know okay. the UK will suddenly become heaven on earth, sure. as like Mark Francois <laughs> likes to portray. Um, it, you know the, the rules and regulations will still apply to us during this this period. Okay. Um, so everything's basically I think of it as, as frozen. Mm. Uh, but basically, the main difference will be that the UK doesn't have a seat at the table anymore. Okay. So decisions that are taken by the EU will still apply to us sure. uh, throughout 2020, but they, we won't have a, a say. So if the EU did something mad, which is you know pretty unlikely, um, and changed laws that we all. Um, um, I was going to say changing currency or something like that, but of course that's not apply yeah. to us. But if they wanted to do something mad, we wouldn't have any power to control that over the next eleven months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it, it would um, it would still apply to us. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, yeah. I, I, well, let's see. Let's see. They could decide to introduce some weird policy True. to annoy us. True. Because, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, mandatory introduction is French is yeah, the yeah, language maybe. of all Euro- <laughs> European nations. Um, much more I would love that. I mean, <laughs> Francois, surely. Um, so, the nego- as I say, we're going to, or as you said, we're going to the negotiation, the future n- negotiation period. Mm. And again, is that something that we can just start right away and get, get our teeth into? Um, so, Boris Johnson has claimed that uh, he's sort of ready to go mm. with these negotiations. Um, the EU, ha- I think they're going to publish their negotiating mandate, okay. um, so the Commission will, on Monday. And then that basically needs to be agreed uh, by the EU27. Okay. So they, they accept the terms, you know, sign off, and these, this is going to be the negotiation stance for of the mm. European Union. Um, that probably won't be able to, because there's 27 countries, mm. uh, I doubt that will be signed off in February. So I imagine we'll be looking at an early March start date for the, for the talks to begin. Okay. Um, the government still, the UK government, haven't actually published their negotiating mandate. Right. Uh, so Even though they're raring to go, they haven't. They're published. raring to go. I, should, I don't know, maybe it's just like in a drawer or something. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, wait and see. Somewhere I doubt it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so what's... what's how, how do you think there... Um, obviously, we have, there's kind of contention over, for one thing, the 11-month period. Mm-hmm. 
Boris Johnson has said that he wants to leave on the 31st of December no matter what, but then he kind of inadvertently pedaled back on that a little bit when he said it's incredibly unlikely that we need to extend that yeah. period. So that's kind of hinting that he no longer thinks that it can actually be done in 11 months. Do you mm. think that's probably true? Um, it's a, it's incredibly ambitious mm. uh, to think that one can be. I mean, like we said earlier, it, this agreement goes beyond trade, mm. um, but if it was just trade alone, a free trade agreement with the EU, sort of, uh, you know, one of the quickest done is, is four years, I think, well, it took. Uh, this is in, insanely more complicated mm. just due to the geographical closeness of the two sides, like the EU don't want a competitor on the doorstep, um, and then there's obviously you know uh, sort of issues around uh, the island of Ireland, of um, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so whether whether one uh, an all-encompassing deal can be negotiated in 11 months is very questionable. Mm. It would also need to be implemented in 11 months. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. So. And these, that, that would require a huge amount of legislation, I'm guessing. Yeah, legislation. Yeah. Um, it would also require sort of systems being in place mm. which aren't, don't currently exist. So these uh, sort of like technical. Um, sort of border checks that that they were proposing on the island of Ireland. Yeah. That that technology does not exist. Right. Um, okay. Like you, you know, <laughs> there's a it's it's very ambitious. Okay. But, um, <laughs> it's it's not it's not beyond the realms of human capability. Okay. It's just um, it's just extremely extremely ambitious. Okay. And given everything that you've just said about the EU doesn't want a competitor on their doorstep, obviously the UK wants to be as free as it can possibly be yeah. to kind of explore other trade options around the globe but obviously it still wants to trade with the EU to some extent mm -hmm. given those contentious issues what how do you think they're going to go in general mm. so um I guess principally the issue is going to be around uh, regulatory divergence mm. um so the government are giving quite confusing messages on that um, the political declaration is a lot looser than uh, Theresa May's was um, okay. in terms of it, it does really open up the possibility for uh, regulatory divergence. Yeah. Um, and Sajid Javid as well, he said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like quite um, definitive, there's going to be no regulatory yeah, alignment yeah, yeah. or something. And he, well, he said, yeah, and then he sort of rode back on it and then said uh, that... You know, the UK would only diverge in if it was in the best interest of business. Oh, and okay. Yes, but even if you leave open the option mm -hmm. for regulatory divergence, then you cannot have a no quota, no tariff yeah. market access with arrangement with the EU. Yeah. Um, because they'll need binding uh, sort of arrangements on level playing fields if they're going to give you unfettered access into the single market. Absolutely. Um, just the pledge that you're not going to do it is not really good enough. And, um, one, and one of the things that business has always said, and having chatted to our own members and being um, and sitting on the, one of the CBI's policy councils, that the worst thing, almost the worst thing, is the uncertainty. So yeah. if there is going to be, if there's one output that is absolutely necessary from this trade deal mm -hmm. is certainty and absolutely clarity of what businesses need to do to trade with the EU and if we're going elsewhere what they can do uh, to prepare and what they can do going onwards and that needs to be kind of set in stone for yeah. business to be confident, uh, confident with it. You touched on um, yeah regulatory alignment as we've been saying and, and this is one of the biggest things for DMA members. We, um, as I'm sure you will be 
aware, if you've been looking at the DMA website, we, a, a huge amount of work that we're doing in, in our policy and lobbying is on uh, trying to work with government, with the digital, part, digital culture, media and sport department and the business department to um, impress upon them how necessary our data adequacy agreement is. And okay, do you know what a data adequacy agreement is? No. That's fine, I'll forgive you. You know a lot about everything else. Um, so uh, basically we are part of, obviously we are within the European Union at the moment, and that means that standards of data protection are, um, uh, well, they're, they're part of one jurisdiction. And obviously yeah. when we leave, we move jurisdictions. And to kind of continue to trade and to swap data, so to buy products online, to, you know, maybe if I'm in the UK and I want uh, an insurance policy from Germany, and to kind of begin that relationship, um, both of us need to be able to store personal data, or that company needs to be able to store the kind of personal data of me. Okay. And, you know, that works vice versa from companies and people in the EU and in the UK as well. So there kind of needs to be a channel of the free flow of data. Mm -hmm. But the impediment to that is if that if the EU doesn't recognise the UK's um, data protection standards mm. as um, satisfactory to them, that if they think there's a danger to EU citizens that um, you know their personal data could be um, you know misused by yeah. a, a kind of separate UK, then it, it becomes illegal for. Um, the EU and UK to kind of continue this data flow and yeah, that essentially wow. cuts off the whole digital market. So um, the UK government currently does want to seek an adequacy agreement which would just basically um, quite quickly put on paper that the UK and EU agree that both standards of data protection are fine and that they can kind of continue trading on this basis. But the EU has some concerns with the UK's security policies. Our surveillance is a lot more invasive. Um, the ability of the secret services to take individual people's data is a lot more um, uh, free in the UK. And at the moment, the, kind of, the EU, even though they've said that this breaches EU human rights, they're kind of overlooking this because they have access to all the security stuff that comes from it. Okay. But if the UK goes apart of that and maybe we don't have a sufficient kind of security arrangement, mm -hmm. then they're going to be like, oh, actually, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Because we've got... So obviously there's a couple of issues there and this is one of the, the things that we, the UK really needs to stay aligned with European data protection issues um, in order to, we think, be successful or, or allow our businesses to be successful in this post-Brexit Britain. Mm. And it's kind of, there's... We think it will be largely okay because actually across the world, one thing, data protection standards are increasing and a lot of people are looking to the European model for advice. But then there's the kind of flip side that actually within the EU, the UK has played a really massive part in getting those data protection standards in place. 50% of all digital and data legislation has, in the EU has started in the UK or has been written and drafted by the UK. So the, UK, the EU itself is actually losing quite a valuable kind of uh, input in that digital and data yeah. sphere. So there's kind of two prerogatives, one for alignment for the business purposes and then two for um, the EU to kind of continue to be at the forefront of data protection legislation. It probably makes sense for some kind of agreement um, between the two to um, carry on with the arrangement that they currently have. It's pretty beneficial. But, you know, the logical thing is not necessarily something that the government wants to pursue. And if it wants to peel away from this, if it wants... To, um, Mr. Cummings in number 10, he wants to repeal GDPR and lots of other bits of data legislation. And if, if that happens in order to kind of achieve these other post-Brexit trade deals with countries mm. that we have not yet kind of um, interacted with, then that could be something that's done that could be pretty damaging.
Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's a huge issue, and, and that's just, you know, one issue in one sector. Wow. So this goes, stretches across every possible um, sector. I'm sure you'll know, you'll experience lots of people talking to you about the potential problems with various things um, as well. So there's, yeah, lots of, lots of tricky things. Have you heard in particular from businesses, politicians, think tanks about the kind of effect of or whether we should remain aligned or whether we should diverge or what the benefits of either mm. or are? Mm. I mean, there's, there's huge concern, I think, amongst businesses. Like, as you said, just the uncertainty is going to continue throughout 2020, first and foremost. Uh, there's huge concern around... They, they might be told, uh, sort of, you know, in November what the deal is, mm. uh, and then they'll have a matter of weeks in which to implement the new systems and processes. Mm. Um, there's, there's, yeah, I think most business uh, would prefer that we stay aligned yeah. with the EU um, just because it, it means that there's no trade barriers there. There's no, you know, things can flow freely. Um, they, they, don't, they don't have to implement a huge amount of change yeah. uh, in, their, in their business. Um, the, the, the UK government... I think understand that this is this is the sort of feeling from business. I assume they do anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. They they want to leave open this option to diverge, which, uh, like as as I said, um, if if you just keep the option open, so with if you're on a data um, sharing, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter if you if you have exactly the same standards and you have no intention of reducing those yeah. regulations mm-hmm. and standards. If you have the option to, mm-hmm. then the EU will not give you that access. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the the government needs to make a choice in the transition period. You know, what do they value more? Sovereignty, uh, so the ability to to do whatever they want mm-hmm. with regards to regulations and standards, or market access, because the two are not. You know, you, you can't have both. If you want more sovereignty, you get less market access, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, so I think businesses presumably would want more market access than yeah. to sovereignty. <laughs> it appears um. obvious, but... <laughs> so, all in all, given all this, and given, you know, we've touched on one complication in one, one industry, how is it looking, again, 11 months, possible or not possible? Um, I mean, you've, you've been quite explicit on this already. It's going to be I, quite I, I think <laughs> it's. I think it's going to be very tough, yeah. Mm. Um, and the, the, the risk of no deal, so um, to, to leave on the 31st of December without an agreement in place. Mm. Um, It's been sort of like, you know, so it's not the same as what would have happened uh, if we hadn't have passed a bill, the withdrawal agreement bill, uh, and we were leaving tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because of the protocol that's been decided and agreed around Northern Ireland, Mm. that issue, uh, in terms of there's not, there wouldn't be a hard border in the event of no deal on the 31st of December. Mm. Um, has been resolved, um, but everything else would, would, you know, the UK would crash out um, and go on to WTO terms. Okay. That is possible. It's not in the interest of either side to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the EU would probably rather uh, sort of go for that than a than a half baked bad agreement. Interesting. Um, mm. With the with the UK and, like I said, because the the worst the worst threat of No Deal for the EU really was the political and economic impact it would have on the island of Ireland. Mm. Now that that's been resolved, it's definitely not uh, preferable to them, okay. but the sting, the, sort of the, the main issue has been taken out of them, so sure. they could survive the economic hit. Interesting. So, lots and lots still to come over the next little while. Do you expect this to take up 
the same amount of time as covering Brexit has for the mm. last three years? Um, I think so it will dominate Whitehall completely. Mm. Um, they're, they're, they do need to do other stuff uh, as well. So they they need to pass a number of domestic pieces of legislation. Um, but but with Johnson's majority, I don't think that's a massive hurdle for them now. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably won't take up as much time uh, as uh, sort of the previous year has done in okay. terms of like those who are following politics. It won't be headline news every single day. Um, there'll be probably no drama. You know, it will be a bit, a bit tamer. Um, we're not sure how sort of frequently or transparent the UK government's going to be throughout the negotiations. Okay. So it, it really does depend on how much information yeah. is getting shared um, and what Parliament's role is going to be during the transition phase. So when he got his majority, uh, Boris Johnson withdrew the clauses in the withdrawal agreement bill that uh, sort of were, were focused around parliamentary scrutiny. Okay. Um, so there's there's almost you know Parliament I wouldn't say redundant but the role of Parliament has been significantly reduced. Mm. Um, and do you think in the sort of gen- general kind of public psyche will it will it be as present? I don't think so. I mean, if, if you just speak to people now, like there is a general uh, sort of acceptance that it's been sorted, mm. um, that the withdrawal agreement bill has been passed, uh, that we're entering into the transition phase. But you know, basically, we have left, and that that sort of like torturous paralysis has yeah. at least ended. And yeah. so I think there there is a sense of relief um, for some about that. But it. Yeah, it, it probably won't be as like you know um, exciting to follow, mm. but it's definitely still there. Going to be occupying, this, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's not going away. Another thing that's happening at the moment is, of course, the leader, leader Labour leadership election. Mm. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who lost the last election as leader of the Labour Party, um, has agreed to stand down, um, and he triggered the leadership election ballot a couple of weeks ago. Um, and there's a few people in the race. Who have we got? We've got Keir um, Starmer, we've got Rebecca Long-Bailey, who are the kind of two front-runners, would yeah. you say? Um, we've got Emily Thornberry, um, we've also got Lisa Nandy. Lisa Nandy. Um, is that about it at the moment? Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. it, that's it. Um, so, yeah, what, what's your kind of opinion on how that's going so far? Has it been a, a good contest? Do you think there's a kind of general positive movement away from what was an abysmal election performance? Mm. I mean, yeah, I, you know, they, they're having to undergo this because of... Um, the absolute catastrophic election mm. result for the Labour Party. Um, so, yeah, I think Corbyn's standing down in April uh, is, is his final yeah. um, sort of period in office. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. I, I, Keir Starmer and Rebecca Longbelly are definitely the two frontrunners amongst uh, the Labour membership. Mm. Uh, Lisa Nanny, I think, has surprised a lot of people. Um, she's been doing very sort of like competitive, uh, sort of, sorry, um, you know, very good... Um, sort of like media performances right. Andrew Neil interview was very yes, good yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she has very like sort of uh, robust analysis on why Labour lost the election mm. um, and for those uh, who are feeling that you know they don't need um, another Corbynite takeover or another white man from yeah. uh, North London mm. you know she offers she offers that alternative true true and that's so would you say that there is a kind of divide between the continuation of a uh, Corbynite labour and you know maybe maybe something else whatever that is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's so uh, before Jess Phillips dropped. No, sorry, just after Jess Phillips mm. dropped out. Um, I, I can't even. Was that last week? Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's um, that January time kind of <laughs> perception that gets completely skewed. 
So when she dropped out, I think uh, they released some figures about their membership has has significantly increased. Mm. Um, they've got a lot of new members since uh, they announced that this election um, wow. was happening. Okay. So it depends on who those members are. I think there's a general acceptance that they're from the uh, sort of centre of the party okay. rather than the the left, the Corbyn left. Mm. Um, so that would probably play in favour of uh, people like uh, Emily Thornberry and Lisa Nandy. Mm. Um, but I think ultimately, you're right, it's going to come down to Keir Starmer or Rebecca Long Bailey. And I have a feeling, my prediction would be that Keir Starmer uh, will win. Interesting, right, okay. Because Rebecca Long Bailey, Long Bailey was perceived as the sort of Corbyn continuation candidate, and that appealed to a lot of people yeah. within the Labour Party. But I suppose ultimately, externally, might be seen as a kind of insult of anything, yeah. <laughs> or at least an unhelpful kind of association, or just a, a refute, like a complete non-acceptance of, mm. of what's happened True. and how how bad it it actually is. Mm. I mean, she sort of gave uh, Jeremy Corbyn a ten out of ten yeah. when quizzed. Yeah, um, which is pretty difficult to do, regardless of your opinion of the man. Objectively. It's a very generous yeah. work appraisal. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure she's... She's also hasn't been massively present on the campaign trail either. She mm. hasn't dominated as, as many headlines as yeah. people perhaps expected her to do. Mm. Um, so, obviously, the deputy leadership is also going on. Of course. Um, of course. So, I, I think Angela Rayner is sort of um, expected okay. to win that. Yeah. Uh, there are people, other, other people like Richard Bergen mm-hmm. um, and people in that who, who seems primarily to be drawing on support I from... Don't, I don't know why we're both smiling. <laughs> I think that's... Not... <laughs> gives no indication of a political preference of the deputy leadership race in the Labour Party. But, um, yes, there are, there are also other people running. Um, but, yeah, I mean, from from the off, Angela Rayner seemed to be, you know, she, she potentially could have stood as, as leadership candidate. Yeah. She's got that kind of level of popularity. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's, of course, going on. And then afterwards, regardless of who the opposition, opposition leader ends up being, do you think it is the beginning of a Labour resurgence? Do you think it's going to be quite easy to be in opposition? Obviously, we're, they're pretty much tied in for five mm. years, so I guess the opinion polls can only really go one way, and mm. that's towards Labour. I mean, it, it, I think a lot will happen, uh, depend on what happens over the next year mm. with regards to Brexit and sort of what agreement Boris Johnson manages to get. So um, his... It's just on a so with his increased majority, a lot of people assume that that gives him a stronger hand in negotiations. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Right. Uh, you know the size of the majority is largely or completely irrelevant uh, to the EU. Their red lines don't change mm. regardless of who they're negotiating with. Um, but it could leave him op- the option of uh, offering more concessions than he would have been if he was again still beholden to people, mm. people in the ERG for support. So if he makes, say, a bunch of concessions around fisheries um, and that type of thing, then, and even the single market, uh, and we stay aligned, to, and if they want security measures, you know, that might involve uh, a relationship with the ECJ that would be abhorrent to Brexiteers. Mm. Um, so he could make that and then and then lose a lot of support that right. he's gained, okay. um, in which I guess that would be, yes, that probably would be positive for Labour. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to see how I'm not. I think I think this is true. Um, just going to spread some fake news on your podcast <laughs> uh, that no that no party has come back from this defeat in one uh, general election. Really? Yeah. So it usually uh, it would take. It's sort of a ten year project oh my goodness. now. Um, right. But again, we are in unprecedented times. Yeah, so, totally. um, you know,
know, a, a lot could happen, but it does, it's, it's a long time, five, five years yeah. of this, um, and sort of forgotten what it looks like to have a majority government. Yeah. They just win votes all the time. Um, it's not going to be a nice time to be in opposition. No, definitely not, definitely not. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. Um, before you go, though, I'm quite interested. I've got a couple of quick-fire questions, okay. which I'd like to throw at you. <laughs> Um, for whatever reason, whether you like them or not, who do you think is the best or most effective politician in UK politics today? Wow. I mean, everyone says Nigel Farage, right? Interesting. Uh, just okay. uh, the, the impact he has had on the political discourse and what's happened. Mm. Um, I think that's arguably quite true. Yeah. Uh, he, there's a, a portrait of him got unveiled today, a yeah. title called Mr really? Brexit. Really? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Where yeah. was that? Where uh, was it? I'll, send it to you. I'll send it to you. Oh. Um, not sure who commissioned it, but it's there now. Um, <laughs> um, I get. I mean, Boris Johnson is, uh, you know, he, regardless of what you think of the man, mm -hmm. he he is a very very effective politician. Yes. Uh, he's managed to do something that uh, people, including myself, uh, didn't really think was possible. Mm -hmm. um, with regards to the deal he's got, uh, he got it largely in part because he made concessions that no one expected him to to actually make yeah. around Northern Ireland. Yeah. Uh, but you know he, he did do it. He got it over the line, and he got this massive majority that he had he had promised his MPs he would get. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, favorite news source other than Dodds, of course. Uh, well, Politics Home, obviously. Oh, we can't say uh, that. No, that's a Dodds' own thing, isn't it? <laughs> no, nope, come on, next one, next one. <laughs> um, I. I'm trying to. Um, going to say mainstream, but politics is pretty mainstream. I mean, um, I, I'm still a firm believer in the in the BBC. Interesting. Um, BBC News is just, uh, yeah. Fair enough. An easy go-to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you ever go into politics? Uh, as a as as running, a politician? Um, absolutely not. Right. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, when I work for what I think... I mean, we had this uh, intern come in once, was really sort of keen, and she um, really wanted to become an MP. After a week, I asked her again, <laughs> and she was like, "No, absolutely not." <laughs> um, you don't realise how consuming the job is. I don't. I think until you oh, yeah. um, sort of work alongside someone that does it, um, it really is seven days a week, twenty-four hours, and, and mm. UK politics is not a very nice place to no, be. No, definitely right not. Now. Um, John Burko or Lindsay Hoyle as the speaker, who do you prefer? Um, Obviously we haven't had Lindsay Hoyle for very long yeah, yet. Yeah, I mean he seems to be doing very well mm -hmm. so far. Um, less controversial than John Burko. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there was a theatre around John Burko that was, depending on your mood, either very sort of tiresome or quite fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, I mean, very different characters, mm. very different. I must say, I must say, to yeah. be <laughs> not bad. I'm doing, That's uh, quite good. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I know. I should sort His of start. Order I should start isn't as good. Yeah, no, that's, totally, that's what I would totally. Say. That's, and that's basically the only the thing that you have to get right. I yeah. think that's the whole job. Yeah. Um, Scottish independence. Do you think it's on the cards for over the next couple of years? Yeah, great question. Um, I think that's going to be another area that is going to dominate for the next couple of years. Obviously, the SNP's argument around, you know, now that this, now that we're leaving the EU, I think it strengthens their argument. Okay. Um, but whether, so they need this, um, is it a Section 40? Yeah. Yeah, Section 40 order um, in order to, to hold a referendum. But that could, they could, if they, uh, which Boris Johnson's turned down, obviously, yeah. um, I mean, that could get tested in the courts, though. Mm. Um, so you, you could see the SNP bringing a legal challenge to try and hold a referendum. Yeah. Um, and indeed, tomorrow, Nicola Sturgeon is due to be in Parliament, uh, in the Scottish Parliament, to um, 
kind of announce her intention of what to what to do oh, the wow. next steps. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so well, you, yeah. may, you may have that tomorrow. Wow, okay, watch that space. Mm. Um, and that is, it's a completely untested piece of yeah. uh, legislation, isn't it? Yeah. Like they, they were going to maybe test it in the courts in the 2014 referendum, but yeah. then eventually David Cameron just said, all right, fine, you can... You can you hold can it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, wow, that would be really interesting. I know, yeah, definitely. Uh, whether might get back into the sorry, straight back into this kind of merry-go-round. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. That, it works very well. Absolutely. Um, very good way of deciding things. Oh, you know, absolutely perfect. Last question: Which party did you vote for? Joking, <laughs> joking, joking. <laughs> um, that I it, can't comment. We'll we'll that. leave it there. We'll leave it there. But. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was um, Laura no, Hutchinson, who is um, Dodd's principal Brexit um, I was going to say spokesman, consultant. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for being on. Um, as ever, if you have any questions or anything you'd like to ask or talk about on the podcast, please do give me a tweet. Um, I'm at Michael Sturrock. Laura, what's your Twitter handle? Oh, I, uh, I think it's Laura Hutch underscore Dodds. Oh dear, far too complicated for people to know. No, don't worry, I'll put it in the, um, the, the, the text that comes out with the podcast, oh, um, you. so you'll see it there. Um, yep, any questions, do give us a shout, and please follow, um, well, yeah, follow us as Follow us both, obviously, but um, also follow the DMA. Uh, that's DMA underscore UK, and you can kind of um, uh, you can make sure I find the tweet uh, if you do hashtag DMA Pol Pod, which, as I've been told several times now, and I've said on the podcast before, that people think it is DMA Pol Pot, um, the yep, Cambodian okay. dictator. So it's not it's not about that. We're we're not into that sort of political commentary. But there you go. Um, but we will we will leave it there. And thank you very much for listening as ever. And I look forward to speaking to you next time. Thank <laughs> you.